Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you or they might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hi, welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. Today, I am talking with author, speaker, and exercise physiologist, Daniel Zeman. Author of the book, You're Too Old to Die Young, Dan Zeman has a passion for seeing male baby boomers use what he terms the bonus years gifted to this generation. He has a lot to say about the choices facing boomers as they age. So I'm going to jump right in today and welcome Dan Zeman. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank, you. thank you for inviting me. First off, it's always nice to be around legends like yourself when I'm kind of the new guy <laughs> to this field. So um, uh, you, you, uh, Rick Bava was the one that introduced us. And uh, again, I, I find it interesting just how many talented people are equally or more so passionate because they started at this population sooner than I did. And yet I think we're probably all the same age. So maybe I'm following your guys's lead. I just, uh, and so let me make sure I give a shout out to people who were before me, as opposed to thinking I was a pioneer. Well, but you know, um, you've got the message. You're right on message from all that I have read and and heard uh, from you. And so I think it's a really important message. I, I should talk a little bit about your background. Um, as I mentioned, you're an exercise physiologist. You have 40 years experience in health, wellness, fitness, and sports medicine. So um, you have a lot to share. And as an aging boomer yourself, um, but you've worked in uh, so many places and done so many things in the world of health, wellness, um, you know, I mean, we all here, we're supposed to exercise, but you have an amazing um, and unique perspective on all of that that I, I want you to share with my listeners today. Um, I do want to talk about the bonus years as you define them, but let me first say that, um, you know, I'm interested to know how you came to addressing boomers and writing this book. As you said, you're coming later than some to the aging world. Um, it is quite a big world, I'm sure you've discovered. Yes. And uh, and I think it's getting bigger all the time because of boomers, right. uh, because of technology, because of social media. But you, um, you know, your background working with athletes, working in cardiac rehab, you've got a perspective that um, I certainly don't have. And so can we start there? Tell me how you came right. to address boomers. Well, so it would, first off, l- let's agree the word exercise is overrated, it's marketed, and it has a lot of spandex, and everything about it should be redone and thrown away. It has a terrible success rate. I mean, and I think the sad thing to me is when people say, I need to exercise more. And I like to tell them, I just want you to be healthier. So I think we should look at physical activity. And so having said that, 
I'll go back and, and the cardiac rehab days were the early days of the exercise physiology world. So that's nothing more than structured cardiovascular exercise, primarily because the cardiac patients were initially, if you had a heart attack, you laid in bed for a week. And that was, that was the treatment for you. And the reality is, is that most of them died having bowel movements because they became so constipated and so atrophied that they died. So the nice thing is they said, your dad died in bed. Then the problem was that the most of the docs came and said, hey, we got to get these people moving as opposed to, and they said, well, no, they had a heart attack. So they have to lay down and get over their heart attack. And you go, well, we did that with pregnancy. We did it with polio. We did it with a lot of things. And now you look at it and say, well, but how do you know how much to dose out this structure? In other words, how long should they walk? How long before What's the right doses to get them? So we would use the model we do with athletes, something called a return to play. So, so in, in essence, a guy, an NBA player tears his ACL, how much does he have to do to get back on the court so he doesn't re-injure himself? So go back to 1980, which is a frightening concept for me. Um, <laughs> and you'd say, okay, so it was, it was interesting if you were a physical therapist and you said the guy tore his bicep muscle. And his job means he has to lift 40 pounds. So we would train him so he could get strong enough to lift 40 pounds, and then he could go back to his job because we knew that he could do the 40 pounds in the lab. So, so the question with cardiac rehab was, how much does their heart work when they're a carpenter or when they're a bus driver or when they're a teacher? Or when you go, well, I don't know. So we had, to, we had to come up with how fast in the treadmill should you walk if your job doesn't involve walking. Or So we had to figure out if your heart doesn't know what you're doing, how hard do we train it so that it's strong enough to go back without having another cardiovascular event. And so that was, that was where we started. So, But everything, if you think of it, when it comes to structured physical activity, is a return to play or a return to work concept. So... You'd say, okay, I have some event that I've atrophied from or I've been injured from, and now I need to get back so I can have fun again in my life. <laughs> so so what, what's interesting to me um, with the athletes now, again, and so, so the parallel is pretty simple. The athlete wants to get back to be able to do one hour of hard NBA games. The Tour de France rider with Le Mans uh, was a phenomenal gifted guy. Um, and again, I, I'm going to diverge for a second. What you asked me about what makes me unique, I started with cardiacs whose hearts were so bad they'd have to give them a new one. Okay, so this is a person that says, we need to give this guy a new, we have to transplant. His heart is so bad. And conversely, with the athletes, you find hearts that are literally the, some of the finest hearts in the planet. So <laughs> I've seen this spectrum of the beating heart. And then you end up dosing out how much should they do, and it really gets down to what should they do, what do they want out of life. Now, when you're 25 years old, you have plenty of time, you recover very well, and so you don't really worry about it. But when you're 60 years old, you go, hey, I started raking the lawn, and I'm telling you, I am just winded. I never thought. So, so they come back with specific questions where the 25-year-old and the 30-year-old, which is what the club manufactures, is, is this wheel of 20 to 30-year-olds who say, boy, I really like to look good in spandex again, and I can work out an hour in the treadmill and look how good a shape I'm in. To me, it's a waste of time because there's no purpose to it. it they just, they're in there. They're just wasting time. You and I, it, I mean, I, as bad as this sounds, 
I've challenged people, everybody that I see, I will give you a return on your minutes. If I can't give you a return on your minutes, I stole time from you. So to me, it couldn't be more insulting to tell a 65-year-old person to go spend an hour on a treadmill seven days a week in his basement. And then when he's 80 and dead, he realized he spent a year and a half in his basement doing nothing. And you took that life from him. So you took the minutes from him. You didn't give him anything back. So I would be very offended if I'm an 80-year-old that I said, hey, Dan Zeman, remember when you told me I needed exercise by myself in the basement for an hour? I didn't get anything back for those. I'm still dead. I wish I would have been walking with my wife or gardening or hiking or, or doing something else. And so the concept of return to play or return to work or return to a quality of life should be the focus of every boomer. And, and the problem is that we were gifted longevity. So again, the baby boom generation, we were delivered into this great time in the United States. After the war, uh, we came in after insulin, we came in after antibiotics, we came in after all these medical advances. So why the title of the book, You're Too Old to Die Young, simply means we were gifted something that'll keep us alive. Now, the problem is that the, the visual of being over the hill is still very interesting to me because we go up with puberty, we peak, and then we go downhill after age 40. And that's why, again, no world records by legitimate performing athletes are set. So physically, they just can't peak anymore. So, but surgeons can continue. You can continue. Arts continue. They all can continue to be performance. But at 35 or 40, you're done physically. But so you go down this hill. The question for every boomer is, how long do you want to lay at the bottom of the hill before you die? And we can keep people alive for a long time. Long time. So, so the, the, the way, again, that was probably a longer answer than you wanted to. But philosophically, you have to ask yourself, if physical peak fitness was so important, why are the nursing homes still full of people who are in such terrible shape? Why didn't they die? And it's because we can keep them alive. We just, we just restrict their movement to the point where all they can do is basically get out of bed and eat and go back to bed. But they're not dead. And so this big change of longevity mm-hmm. means that when you and I were born, there was 500,000 people in America over 85. There'd be 17 million people over 85 when the youngest boomer, 17 million. So again, you ask yourself, what does that mean to the financial industry? What does that mean to the quality of life? And, and you know, what the greatest thing is, is when I, people read my book, they're always boomers who just buried their parents who come back and go, wait a minute, this is a whole new thing for me now, because first off, I didn't know that you had to stand in line for a nursing home. I didn't know there wasn't just going to be one of these available. And I said, well, did you ever fly first class? Well, no. Again, I don't because I can't. But, you know, it's yeah. kind of like saying, I'd like to be, I'd like to get a first class seat in that airplane. They go, I'm sorry, they're full. And you go, yeah, but, but I want one right now. And you go, no, there's only six and they're full. So you go, well, what do I do? I go, well, you should have planned ahead. So like, COVID saying, well, we're, we only have 40,000 ventilators. We're not going to have 17 million ventilators just created for this big bolus of people who just didn't die young. So finding a nursing home, who's going to take care of them? That's the biggest crisis face in the country is the inability to be able to sustain life, which is a bowel movement and a heartbeat 
and a chair and a remote. And that's it. So you have to choose how long you want to lay in that position. So the only reason to look at return to play with that population is that your quality of life will have zero if you can't move around freely without pain, without restriction. So I look at physical activity as something you should do so you don't lay on the bottom of the hill for the last 15 years of your life looking out the window of a nursing home that's nowhere near your house because those are full. Does that, does that sound, kind of paints a terrible picture, but that was the wake up call for me. <laughs> yes, it's, it's quite a picture and, um, and it's reality. Yes. And so, um, yeah, so let's back it up a little. So longevity, we know we've got 20, 30 years over right. other generations. Right. Right. Um, those are what you call the bonus years. We've been gifted those years. And so what you're suggesting is, uh, and what you talk about in your book is, we have a choice on how to manage those bonus years. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, the, the other thing you can look at the data is very clear that when you look at cause of death now compared to the 1930s and 1940s, that literally half of the, of the cause of deaths are our lifestyle choice that we made somewhere along the line. And, you know, our generation, I remember, and, and you know, I, I read a book by a, a, another author who read mine, Dan DeVisi, and he wrote a book called Andy and Don about Andy Griffith and Don Knotts for the old Barney Fife people of the planet. I grew up in watching those black and white shows. I loved it. But if you look at those, Andy Griffith has a cigarette in his hand for most of those shows. Johnny Carson had a cigarette in his hand for most of his shows. Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, all those iconic people had cigarettes. And then we watched them all die and we go, wait a minute, we got to rethink this cigarette thing. And so it only became obvious when we saw people die ugly from smoking that you go, well, wait a minute, that's a choice thing. And so now you look at, which is what the boomer does is when they see their aging parents and you look at the aging brain, you look at the aging lung, you look at the atrophy of weakness and you go, no, wait a minute. I thought I, I thought you, I should go, go get a Apple watch and I'll be saved. And I go, no, that's, that's not it. So it is, it's real when you watch someone who you love or in your family, that's the wake up call. So are, are you saying, um, so what I've heard is you should exercise or, and we'll talk about that term, right. um, at least four times a week for 45 minutes or walk four miles a day. I heard that one time at a conference, walk right. four miles a day and you won't get Alzheimer's. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that are said like that. And you're suggesting we do it differently. And we it, and we have made choices in the past. Can we still make different choices now? Yes, yes. I think that, and that's, that's the interesting thing because you have to remember that legitimate longitudinal data on aging is only relevant to when you were active outside of structured exercise. What that means is we don't mow our lawns anymore. We don't do anything anymore. So when someone says to me, you know, the original ACSM, American Sports Medicine exercise was three days a week for 30 minutes. And I said, yes, but remember, 
those people still open their own garage door. Those people still mowed their lawn. Those people still walk to the grocery. They, we don't do that anymore. So all of the unconscious things that we said, well, we didn't have running shoes on, so you can't call it exercise. I go, I don't know, but I was pretty fatigued those days when I was out there mowing the lawn with the push lawnmower. And when I, so, so what has happened is people said, well, no, when you do an exercise program, it's structured, it's 30 minutes, it's four days a week, it's three days a week. I go, no, it's your heart doesn't know. It only knows to beat. The piece that you have to remember is that, that the mammal in you, which male or female, adapts or it atrophies. The two things it does, it atrophies in the presence of inactivity. So the whole 10,000 steps thing was all a marketing piece that said, just don't sit around very long. And so the, the it, it, let me go back without trying to rant or go off in some rage, but Think of it as puberty for all of us was this uncontrollable rise in everything. We couldn't control it. It was just as your body just doing what it does. Aging is a controlled atrophy. Our goal is to minimize the atrophy from age 40 until we die. But we don't replenish cells like we did when we were going through puberty. We have multiplied. So, so the question for everybody is, how do, you, how do you limit the atrophy of your brain, your lungs, and your body from age 40 to age 90? And if it's, it, it's no longer, I, I think it's, you, you have to realize that four hours in a chair, your body signals atrophy. So when someone says to me, I did my 30 minutes, but now I'm sitting 23 and a half hours in the chair, I go, you're not making up for the 23 and a half hours. Um, and that, that, and then you say, well, why didn't we do it before? My grandpa never did that. And I go, well, your grandpa, your grandpa never sat in a chair for, for eight hours. He was all, you know, I, I, I make in my book, my, I, I look at that generation and I don't, I'm, I'm sorry, but my grandparents to me, still, I look at them and I, you'll, you'll find this hilarious. I hope I took my grandfather to a $22 million athletic club I was involved in, in 1986. And he was generation between World War II and World War I. And, uh, you know, third generation family farm. And I thought he would be really excited seeing these people work out, right? And, and he looked at me like, I don't get it. And I kept, I, I could tell right away he didn't want to embarrass me, but I, he wanted to say, so the guy standing there in front of the mirror, but I go, Grandpa, yeah, that's a 40 pound dumbbell. And he was like, but he's not doing anything. And I go, yeah, I know. And he goes, but, and they, and they pay to come in here. He goes, you know, I can't get farm work to, to pick up a bale of hay for eight hours for me, but this guy's going to pay you to come in and lift the 40 pound dumbbell and stand in front of the mirror. And I go, and then he, then he saw people on the treadmill. I mean, he goes, and he just looked at me like, oh, wait a minute, but he's not yeah. going anywhere. Right. So, so he, he couldn't understand uh-huh. this, this conscious decision to come indoors but it had no purpose. So, so it, it was just this, and it's a generational thing. And so the, the message of exercise, yeah, but you got to do that because it's good for you. And I said, I think you got to ask a boomer, would he rather spend two hours in a club or two hours with his grandkids or taking his wife for a trip or going on a hobby or planting a garden? That's what you got to ask yourself. You got to figure out what physical activity sustains a social connection and an emotional connection that allows you a quality of life. 
But don't think you have to put on a heart rate monitor or gym shoes to, to make it credible. That That's ridiculous. Well, on that Sorry. Note, <laughs> that may sound a little preachy, but I'm, that, I'm pretty passionate no, about it. No, I, I, um, I think it's exactly the kind of thinking that needs to shift for a lot of people. I um, We're going to take our first break. Thank you. And so we'll stop on that note. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Dan Zeman and um, just talk about some of those choices and what we, how we can do it differently. We'll okay. be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help? making a difficult decision for an aging loved one. Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I'm talking with Daniel Zeman. Um, Dan, you you referred, you said something about adaptability in the last segment. Can you talk with us a little bit more about what adaptability is? Well, you know, that, that was a piece that was interesting to me. And, and it was funny. And I was asked the question early on. Um, and it was by a woman. And I, I find it interesting that that was the, the most insightful question I was ever asked because we, we have these traditional exercise programs that we put people on. We put, we have, and I've, trust me, I've done more testing on athletes than I ever want to or humans where we put them on treadmills, we put masks on them, we put their EKGs on, we look at how fit they are. And then we prescribe a certain percentage of their max that they can adapt to. And then she said to me, how do you know that everybody adapts the same? And I'm, I looked at her, I'm going, hmm. We don't. We know you adapt, but we don't know that you adapt the same. So when I stepped back as I was thinking more about, and again, I never dreamed of being an author. I just, every time I gave speeches, people said, hey, did you ever write a book? Did you ever write a book? Did you ever write a book? Did you ever write? Because I got to write this stuff down. And I said, well, maybe I should write one because it's been 15 years of people asking me. Mm-hmm. But, so here's the question. 
I have terrible penmanship. And it's because I never adapted to practicing my penmanship. But I could tell if I, if my message today was don't exercise, practice your penmanship. If you practice your penmanship for one hour, four days a week, in one year, you'd have phenomenal penmanship because the human body will adapt because the brain will tell the fine motor skills. Okay, get better. You're practicing, you're practicing, you're practicing, you get better and you get better and you get better at it. And I'd say, well, great. I have better penmanship, but you're kind of going, well, but I, did I, did I really need better penmanship? And I go, no, but we showed you that you adapt. And I'm going, so that's sort of what we did with the exercise world. You go, just because we showed you you could jump through hoops after you and you got better at jumping through the hoops. What, do we, what did you gain from that other than the hours that you lost jumping through the hoops? So let me make the, the other analogy when you're children. You know, the, the East Germans and the Russians were very good at finding athletic kids age three, four, five, and six and removing them from their parents because they quickly found out those kids adapt to three-dimensional three movements. So they will become athletes. They didn't force John Q. Public to all be athletes in a club and find out that there are people who just don't adapt like others do. So the better analogy is you and I, now you're probably going to win at this. You and I could practice singing lessons for one hour, four days a week for one year. And I would still not be a very good singer. And my problem is I would go away and never practice singing again because I'm terrible at it but I got better penmanship. And so I'm going, well, didn't that, well, that's what we did to these baby boomers about the concept of being physically active. They'll say, well, I was never very good at it. I go, well, who said you had to be good at it? To be a gardener, you just need to be able to be successful at planting your garden, understanding it, and finding great joy in watching that grow. You say, we have a, will my heart rate get high enough? And I go, that doesn't matter anymore. We, we don't, we've, we, we've shown out survival of the fittest went out a long time ago. So the ability to adapt simply means that if you do it enough times, thus the old practice makes perfect. The question for you, you need to ask every baby boomer with time being your most precious asset you have. Don't waste time on practicing a habit that gives you no valid return. Now, to show improvement is, is, is easy because that's part of the mammal in you to adapt. But I wouldn't tell someone to practice their penmanship if they're going to say, we don't even sign anything anymore. And I wouldn't tell you to go take singing lessons. But the reality is the singers probably have just a good of a quality of life. So why didn't we say learn to play a musical instrument and find joy in that and encourage that? And they'll say, well, the exercise movement dominates that space that says, no, you have to enjoy exercise. Very, very few people. In fact, the pros don't like exercise. They like competing. They do not like structured exercise. It's these neurotic people who like exercise. And I'll, and I'll preface that by a very easy statement. I spent 18 years with the NBA. I spent with, with Le Mans with the Tour de France. I mean, the NHL. If I had the nerve in the NBA locker rooms today to set up strength training programs for the NBA athlete and say they're paying you $30 million, $20 million, $10 million, whatever it is, to play basketball. But this year, we're going to just have you work out because we know working out is a good thing for you to do. 
but we're never going to let you play basketball. You're just going to work out. They would say, no, nah, I, I, you don't understand. I don't do that. I play basketball. I do that because it's a means to an end for me. You, if you tell me I can't play basketball, I'll go find a team that I can play. So, so the question that every baby boomer has to ask themselves is, what is it that they want to do that's play for them? And realize that's what they're going to do for the next. And if they don't find something, they will, the atrophy associated with inactivity, mental, social, or physical, is the quality of life that they have to, that they have to search for. And, and everything is on the table. That means jigsaw puzzles. That means singing. That means playing a musical instrument. That means taking a second language. All of that stuff for your aging brain is a value to you because you will adapt and you will show better. In fact, you may say, hey, I found I was pretty good at learning a second language. I, I thought I would be fail at that. I go, no, you failed at chin-ups, but you, you did a really good job at learning how to have a second language. And that's the goal for the, the bonus years. Don't look at them as any more than a gift. Right. And I, I appreciate um, you looking at all aspects, um, social connection, the brain, um, all parts of your life are critical. Right. Um, but getting back to those parts that um, leave you in a nursing home, right. in a chair, um, what you're suggesting is we find physical activities that lead to some form of enjoyment in our life or so for instance i love uh walking in the woods in fact hiking i used to enjoy i haven't done that in a long time but if i wanted to go back to that it would require it would be slow it would be steady uh, but eventually i would get to the place where i was comfortable and enjoying what i used to enjoy yeah, and, and again, I'm, there is a cardiovascular component to help, uh, but the, the idea that you have to be able to run a 10K mm-hmm. or is, is just is a marketing message to sell running shoes and outfits. And, and you know, so, so here, here's the, the, the best analogy, and I've used it before, because we do know that the DNA in athletes make them genetically gifted. Um, so I, I, I make this, this statement a lot when I speak that, I have an identical twin brother, which I don't, but it, it allows me to open the door by saying um, that we will respond the same. And so he comes to me and says, hey, I'd like to run a 10K and I want you to do it with me. And thinking that from an exercise standpoint that he just wants to beat me because it's like, hey, I'm going to show the guy who's supposed to be so smart about exercise. So he trains six days a week. I train four. But the charity is great. It's, and again, let's say that he chose the charity to help um, with, with, with pets or animals, you know, whatever, you, whatever charity you go to. And again, it's $250 and it's six months out and we're going, we agree and he wants to beat me. And I go, okay, you do the six hours, I'll do the four. So you're doing two hours more a week, 48 late, you know, weeks later, we go to the race. And we both start with our shirts on. We're so excited. We're giving the money to charity. It's a great event. We're so happy. And we sit and the, the gun goes off and he just takes off running and gets to the finish line before I do. And again, great. But here's, here's the homework that you have to go back and ask yourself. He beats me by, so I come in with the walkers. 
he comes in with the joggers. He didn't win. He didn't even, he, he just, he finished with people who looked like they were kind of running. So this goes back to your point. So I, he said, I just destroyed you. I knew I could beat you. And I go, how much did you beat me by? And he goes, I beat you by 45 minutes. And I go, you spent 96 hours of training more than I did. And your return was a 45 minute victory. People don't understand the linear respect to time in training to the return on their investment or how little time it takes to stay fit. So, so those are the questions that I think I ask someone. And, and when someone asks me about an exercise program, I don't waste their time. That, that's the worst thing you can do. Um, I would tell someone if they wanted to go for a run, if they found running enjoyable, tell their grandchild or their son or someone who's 30 years younger than 40 years that you two are going to go do it together as a 5K and you're going to train together because that'll find joy. But to go do an event that so you run by yourself, to me, I feel sad for that person that that's the only thing that they have. You got to find more joy in your life than trying to pretend you still have peak physical fitness. I, 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 it just, it just mm. amazes me that, and they, they, and the sad thing about that too is that it's a one-dimensional movement pattern. You've only, you're only good at going forward. And yet if falls are the third leading risk of death, I asked the person, when's the last time you walked backward? And they go, I haven't walked backward for, you know, 20 years, but I've been running forward for 20. And I go, well, you fell because you didn't walk backward any of those 20 years. And that's what made you fall down the steps. And that's why you have a broken hip. Well, yeah, but I'm really good at running forward. And I go, oh, but it didn't, it didn't translate anything other than just you doing a one-dimensional activity through one-dimensional plane. So we have to be much more, much more understanding of what we practice when it comes to moving our body and how that affects our quality of life as we age. Can we still put our shirts on? Can we still put our pants on? Can we still get up off the toilet? Can we still get up off the floor? In fact, I'll challenge everybody who's listening right now. When you get home, <laughs> sit down on the floor. I want you to actually sit down on the floor and then get up off the floor without using your hands. And you'll say, well, I haven't done this in 40 years. I go, well, that's the problem. You have to learn to do that because when you get into a nursing home, and I, I'm sorry about going off and tangential with this, but what was interesting to me is that going into a nursing home, they don't ask you, could you, did you used to run? Did you used to do chin-ups? Did you used to, they'll say, can you shower? Yes or no. Can you get up off the floor? Yes or no. Can you, can you, and you're going, can you make your own meals? Can you bathe? If you say no, no, and no, they don't ask you, did you used to? You have to be able to show you can do those functions so you can go home. Or they won't let you go home safely because they'll know you fall in the shower. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you have to look at functional patterns as being the goal of your life. Find the ones that you find enjoyable, though. Does that help you? I mean, I, I thought it was kind of a preachy yep. moment there for me. But again, I think it, it, you really have to take a really different look at what you want to do with the next 20 years of your life. Well, and what I'm hearing is um, movement. We've lost a lot of movement in our day-to-day -day functionality, and we've got to bring it back. And so it doesn't have to be in this linear form of get on a treadmill. It can right. be right. in many other ways. And, right. and it should be part of your life and, and enjoyable. Right. Um, there was a great study that asked the question, because I guess a lot of people ask me, what's the best exercise to do? And, and the, there was a study that looked at walking, yoga, and square dancing. 
and they dosed out the same. So again, the training effect for the heart was the same. The training effect. So they had people do yoga for the four days a week for an hour. They had them walk four days a week for, and they had them square dance. And they tested their cognitive skills as well. So they looked at memory and they looked at things before mm-hmm. and they looked at resting mm-hmm. heart rates mm-hmm. and they trained them. Mm-hmm. And the square dancers came back and absolutely destroyed the walkers and the yoga people. Nice. And, you, and I'm going, well, that just makes sense. Why doesn't people say that? Because now let's say that you and I were going to go square dance. I have to make sure I don't step on your toes. You have to make sure you don't step on mine. There's a beat to the music we're trying to find. And there's another couple coming at us from the other side that we don't want to run into. So I'm going, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of spatial brain things that go on here. There's a lot of fun that goes on here. If I'm walking, I'm just walking in one plane. If I'm yoga, I'm standing in one plane. I'm going, so why did we forget the cognitive part of movement? And why did we forget the balance part of movement? But not just standing still in balance, but balancing when you're walking and the dog runs underneath and you can't fall. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so three-dimensional movement patterns should be part of your, your day and find whichever ones you want. So, that, I mean, that helps you. That was the, I, I still think these studies, when you hear them, you go, that's the most common sense. I'm surprised I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful to hear that. So, um, We've we've only got a couple of minutes before we go to the next break. Mm-hmm. Um, my next question to you is why the focus on male baby boomers? Okay. Um, if you could answer that briefly, um, and then uh, we can come back and talk right. about it some more. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because um, the simple answer is because I'm a male. Mm-hmm. The, you know, one of the things that I've, that I've, again, observational data to me is very interesting. Um, Cancer patients have cancer support groups. We now realize that the spouse of cancer support should be equally part of that rehab. Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. They go there. The spouses of alcoholics don't go there. So for me, not having a child that I bore on my own. I didn't bear it. I didn't have a baby to tell a woman, here's how you should get over bearing your child. I'm going, I think that's kind of wrong. So I don't, I think it, you, it's no different than me trying to tell an alcoholic to stop drinking. No, they need to have another alcoholic show them how to recover from alcohol. So it's not meant to by any means say that there's not crossover, but a man will listen to another man who's gone through his experiences. And, and it's wrong for me to assume that I'm able to tell a female about aging or loss or social connections or emotional support from a man's perspective and think that, well, she'll, she'll just agree with me. And I go, I wouldn't tell uh, the other uh, situations advice unless I was enough uh, capable of, of giving them a direct response that I knew of, not just reciting some book. So it's out of respect for the aging female to say, I think you should ask a female that advice because I'm only going to give you the male perspective that I have. And unfortunately, I, I think that's biased. No different than I would say, let me tell you about how to recover from being an alcoholic. Sure. You just need to, you just need to suck sure. it up and quit drinking. And that, that's, that, that, that to me is just very arrogant. So sure. I did it by respect for 
the female population that there's plenty of females who are much more intelligent about aging than I will ever be about the aging female. Okay. So when we come back, oh, absolutely. When we come back, I would like to um, just drill down just a little bit about the issue specific to the male boomer um, that um, are part of your book. Um, You're too young to die. You're too old to die. Okay. Yeah, forget about it. Thank you. Uh, We'll we'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. And welcome back. Um, Dan, you just told me a great story that I think is really relevant to why you um, you wrote a book focused on Man. male boomers versus female boomers do can you share that story quickly well yeah and again it's it i i, I you said it was going to be short so I, I didn't go into it but yeah you know the wake-up call for I, let me go back people say i'm an expert i have a perspective you get the older you get the more your perspective changes but it's still through the eyes of me of being a perspective of the male so what we talked about was in the early 80s, I got a call from uh, my best friend at my wedding or my best man at my wedding. His wife was a five-time Olympian. She called me and she said, hey, I want you to help with this charity event. It's going to be on Mother's Day in Minneapolis, and it's going to be called the Race for the Cure. And I'm going, Mother's Day in Minnesota, it could be snowing. I mean, why are you going to run for breast cancer on Mother's Day? I mean, heart disease is a bigger killer of people than breast cancer is. And I'm, so again, the male objective brain in me and this, this objective side says, okay, but Francie, I mean, I'll do it because you asked me and I'm sure I'll, I'll enjoy it and we'll have fun and et cetera. But I just go, go Mother's Day, man. I think you'd want a mother's would be, I mean, there might be runners who will get up on Mother's Day and run and come back and enjoy the Mother's Day with their family. And it's a huge event. If you look at nationally, Mother's Day is an amazing event in the United States. So, 
I go there and I, I'm sitting there watching it and watching it. And I'm going, okay. But what's interesting to me is eight years later when I quit doing it, that had gone from what was basically a thousand people who showed up, men and women, to 30,000 women show up on Mother's Day in Minneapolis to walk for breast cancer. Now, it's not the leading cause of death, but as a guy, it woke me up to saying, how naive could you have been when you see the support groups for breast cancer survivors and women who have breast cancers and people who have died from breast cancers and families? Mm -hmm. As a guy, I would never be able to understand that because the gender in me said, so I don't understand dying of breast cancer. I mean, why wouldn't you walk for heart disease? And, I'm, and, and so it's so, it's, so, it's yeah. so simple now to look back and say, that's why you don't talk to women about aging because you wouldn't have understood why 30,000 women will get up on a mother's day in the snow and walk for breast cancer, but they won't walk for heart disease. And I'm going, well, what's the deal? And so again, that, that's just, to me, it's disrespectful to think that I can talk to a woman where another woman would, would do much better. Yeah. So thank you for our, our finding joy in that or finding some insight for that. Yes. So what is it that, um, so what would get men out and walking or because they don't really. Right. Um, so I what is uh, going on? At, you know, I feel like I'm not even adequate to do this interview because, <laughs> because I don't understand the male perspective. Well, and um, I think, so yes. help me out here. Yeah. Well, you know what I, what I find interesting, and this is, again, observational. And I think the great news is that 20 years from now, we will have legitimate data looking at the differences between dying mortality with men and mortality with women. And you look at, for example, of when uh, uh, male and females have been married for a long time. So let's say 40 years and the man dies or the woman dies, how they respond differently. Observationally, we'll say that, you know, men don't do well if their wife dies, but women can pick up and, and seem to say grandchildren are all. And I look at that and I go, so what is that about men that they, they, they don't do well on? You, you look at um, this, this notion that was early talked about with dying of a broken heart would be another thing that people said, well, that's just a myth. But yet you look at people who have been in long-time marriages where the spouse dies, the wife dies, that the man just doesn't know what to do. And I go, well, why is it that the... So, so this, this notion of your identity as a man, and I guess w what I would look at is, and, and this will go back to, again, to my grandparents, and I'm sorry if it, it, it hopefully there's a tangent to it. My... I was very close to my grandparents only because they were such iconic people that, you know, they grew up without electricity in their house. They grew up with outdoor toilets. I mean, now, now that every house is wireless and theirs was wireless because they didn't have electricity. Now we want them. So we don't have wires in them to begin with, but you know, the, the challenge for, and, and it, it actually comes from a biblical statement about blessed are the people who live long enough to see your grandchildren. That was the whole concept of what would be a long life. You'd be blessed if you could live long enough to see your children's children. Mm -hmm. But when my grandfather died before my grandmother, my wife looked at me and she said, you know, it didn't seem to bother you very much that your grandfather died because I know you're pretty close to him. And I said, because I just realized how bad it would have felt if grandma died before grandma and she just looked at me like, what does that mean? And I go, no, you don't understand. My grandpa would have never survived without my grandmother. So, so when you look at this, I think the challenge for men 
is to understand that the legacy of the male baby boomer will be, did their children, their grandchildren, were they blessed that they lived as long as they did? And it's not whether you're going to live longer to see your grandkids because you, you're, you're, you're at 80 now because we kept you alive. So you're not, you're not going to die at 60. But will your children and your grandchildren go, I'm really glad he lived that long because I learned so much from him. So the challenge for the aging male baby boomer is to accept the fact that his legacy and the legacy of the male boomer will be the role models they became. And in the presence of not dying young, and that's, that's a different slant on it is that you won't, they won't remember you when they say, well, how come the kids don't come into grandkids? Because they're afraid of you because you're a grumpy old man. You sit and you complain all the time. No one <laughs> wants to be around those people. So whether you like it or not, the lasting memory of the male baby boomer will be who wants to be around them. And their grandchildren will be the ones who will dictate and they'll be the ones who will go, do you want to go? I don't know. I don't know. He, he was kind of grumpy. Um, but, but that, again, goes back to the bigger legacy of both males and females. We will be the generation that I think everybody was glad we were born, but, man, they didn't want us to stick around as long as we did. So it's kind of like, it's like you came to a party and you go, hey, the guy just wouldn't leave. I mean, he was here till 3 o'clock in the morning. I wish he would have gone home or something. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the legacy of the baby boomer will be how they handled the last 15 years of their life emotionally, what they did, what they continue to do society, what they did as a role model to, the, to helping out with charity events, what they showed people was possible to still do mentally and physically, and their attitudes and emotion and their ability to stay socially connected. That's the legacy of the boomer. And it's, be, and it's new because no one ever lived this long. Right. Well, and, and there's um, a wellness component right. that uh, are, are more, more and more, are more men taking better care of themselves. Um, traditionally, women are um, most often the ones doing preventive care and uh, men Right. Very often have not. Yeah, and I think, you know, th th again, you have to go back to, to simple biology of that is that, you know, I, I, uh, um, the, the physicals you had as men were if you played sports, you probably had a physical to play high school sports. For whatever reason, it was really kind of a kind of it's sad to say, but it was really kind of a pointless physical to begin with, unless you had a heart murmur. Um, but then from age 20 to age 40, or age 45, you went to the physician if you broke your arm. You went to the physician if you were in a car accident. The, the, act, the whole concept of insurance was, what if I get in a car accident? What if I break my arm? But there was no such thing as an annual physical for men because there's really nothing that can go wrong with you. Testicular cancer is probably the only thing you can make a statement for that's a biology that's not a lifestyle thing. So men, notoriously, just haven't been trained since they first, and conversely to females, once they started menstruating, the OBGYN yearly exam, or was, you're going, okay, we're going to go there. And you're going, well, it's kind of like saying, well, we never went to the dentist from age 15 to age 45. Now you tell me I got to go to the dentist every year. And you go, well, you should have been going before. And they go, well, we never did. So the analogy for men is that it was never part of their culture, primarily because there was nothing that was going to kill us or needed maintenance. But now, it, it, well, like prostate cancer, colon cancer, uh, falls, those are, those are legitimate things. 
And it's just foreign for people to think that that they don't need to prevent that. Where the female, you're correct, and 100% correct, as always, by the way, um, that your insights are true. Men, men neglected it because they were never told of the importance of it from a generational timeline. If that, if that helps. So I don't defend yes. them, but I also say, yeah, just, we didn't know smoking was bad. But once we found out you quit. So if you don't look at colon cancer the same way, then shame on you because right. that's one of the most easily fixed problems if caught early. Right. Yeah. And that, that again is just because we didn't, we didn't do it young. We never mm-hmm. were asked to do it young. Sure. But, sure. but it doesn't excuse the fact that when it is time to do it, you'd say, well, I'm not going to go there. Hey, so uh, we've just got a couple minutes left. Um, I want to know how people can get a whole, get their hands on your book. Well, it's on Amazon. And in fact, you know, I, I think Rick was the one that liked this. He said, you have a website named Daniel Zeman, but you always call yourself Dan. And I go, first off, for, I never thought I'd be an author. Secondly, I never thought I'd have a website. I thought those sounded very arrogant. But what's interesting about DanielZeman.com, which again is what most mm-hmm. people call me, but once they always talk to me, they always say, hey, Dan, hey, Dan. Like, so I right. go by Dan, but Daniel was, so Daniel Zeman was open and Dan wasn't. And I said, okay, I'm going to go by Daniel because it, it prompts me. My mother always yelled at me, Daniel. She was the only one that called me Daniel and my grandmother. They always would say, Daniel, come in here and pick that up. Daniel, you're lying. Daniel, you're making us. So the website is Daniel, but it forces me to make sure anything I put on there is true because it, it, it's like it's like you didn't make your bed, did you? And I go, yeah, okay, okay, that's right. I can't put that on there. So DanielZeman.com is the easiest way. And um, as far as Z-E-M-A-N. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, this, the lectures or the talks or the presentations, I've been very successful or very happy to give those. And they're usually by groups of people who say, mm-hmm. come in. And they had, the last one I did was called Growing Boulder. And I'm, it, it's quite amazing to me the people who come up and say, you know, I really found a different perspective. And thank you for coming. So whether it's the book or talks or whatever, that's, again, just reach out to me on Daniel Zeman and uh, we'll figure it out. Well, I appreciate all you do to enhance the lives of um, seniors, in particular, in this case, male baby boomers. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you again. It was, it was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. And I'm going to go see that garden mirror someday so I can see what you yes. got. Yes. So you can um, join me and my guests each Wednesday or on demand at voiceamerica.com or follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, if you or your loved one are experiencing a moment of crisis, go to aginglifenetwork.com where you can talk with a live care management professional who will offer you answers, guidance, and support to assist you with your aging life journey. Have a great week, everybody, and see you next time here at Aging Life. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again.